You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen, amen. Let's continue standing as we pray this morning. Just let that thought remain in your heart this morning. Jesus Christ, lifted higher than any other name, let's give him glory together as we pray. Lord Jesus, we come this morning, Lord. I'm saying that there's not one among us who is worthy of glory, not worthy of any praise, nothing special, Lord, among us, but Lord, you, you alone deserve all glory. Lord Jesus, you alone are worthy of all honor, all praise, all majesty. Lord, your name is exalted to the highest heaven, Lord. Lord, you are the one who humbled yourself, stepped down from your throne, your rightful throne in glory, and laid your life out on a cross so that we could be saved. And Lord, we come humbly this morning. Lord, we come to proclaim and confess that you are great. Lord, we come this morning humbly to ask you, Lord, to open our hearts, even as we just heard uh, spoken of, Lord, would you do that work this morning, Lord? Would you open our hearts to hear your word and to receive it this morning? Oh Lord, would you come and would you magnify yourself among us? Lord, we pray through your Holy Spirit, you would not only teach us this morning, Lord, but you would move us, move us closer to you, reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to our eyes, lead us in this time so that we can leave this place saying Christ alone be magnified, Christ alone be exalted. Oh Lord, that's our longing this morning. Lord, come, please lead us in it. Now we pray for the glory and honor of Jesus alone, amen. 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 Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. It's a privilege to be able to open God's Word again with you this week. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, we started into a little mini-series in Psalm 119, uh, the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible. And uh, this week, we're going to continue on again. Obviously not going to cover all of Psalm 119 this week, or we would be here for a week. Um, And uh, we're just going to touch on one section this week, really. Uh, The section that we're going to dig into is verses 33 through 40. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up there. Psalm 119, 33 through 40. That should be pretty well right near the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just go ahead and put your hand up nice and high and keep it up. Our ushers are coming down the rows right now. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. Um, And we would love for you to keep that copy of God's Word if you don't have one at home. That's our gift to you. And honestly, this morning, if you don't have a copy of the Word in your hand, you're probably going to be in the dark a little bit, so to speak, because all that we're going to do is we're just going to start in verse 33, and we are basically just going to work through eight verses this morning. We're going to work through eight verses seeking to answer the question, how? How do we press into the provision of God's Word on a daily basis? If you were with us last week, um, you'll remember that uh, we started into Psalm 119 and we gave a bit of an overview. We mentioned not only is it the longest chapter uh, in the Bible and the longest psalm made up of 176 verses, of which 169 verses speak directly of the Word of God. And so we noticed that Psalm 119 is primarily about the Word of God, but that wasn't the only thing that we noticed. Uh, we notice that Psalm 119, very interestingly, is, is written in the, in the style of a prayer, a prayer of worship, basically. And what you'll notice as you read through this incredibly long psalm, you'll notice that the psalmist speaks to God and he says, Lord, your, your word is this in my life. And it's this I, you, and therefore can be considered a prayer. 
The section we're in this morning very clearly can be viewed as a prayer, primarily as a prayer. Um, In each of the eight verses, the psalmist calls out for God to do something that only God can do in his life. He makes eight requests, and there's a couple that are tied into that as well, maybe 10 total, uh, but eight requests that we're going to see this morning of what he desires for God to do in his life through the word of God. Last week, we picked up on a major theme in Psalm 119, which is delight and longing for the word of God to dwell richly in our lives. We mentioned last week that the psalmist speaks around nine or 10 times about delighting in the word of the Lord and longing for the word of the Lord. And he speaks about 10 times of the word of God giving him life. And so this morning, we're gonna unpack that a little bit. And so maybe this past week, Maybe you've been praying that the Lord would give you a deeper hunger for God's word. I know I've been praying that for my life. I know I've been praying that for you as well. But maybe you're kind of at the place where you're saying, okay, I've been trying to apply what we learned last week. I've been trusting in the truthfulness of God's word. I've been accepting its authority, trying, trying to accept its authority over every aspect of my life. And I've been striving to press into its provision, but still, for some reason, it just seems like something is missing. I'm just not quite hitting it at full stride the way that I long to be. And maybe this week you've been struggling a little bit in this. So this morning, right now, what we're gonna do is we are really gonna attempt to unpack what this looks like in our daily lives. How do we press into the provision of God's word every single day? And as we begin that, I just wanna draw your attention right now to one verse of scripture, uh, verse 18. It's outside of the section that we're gonna go to this week, but it's a great one. And uh, we mentioned it last week, but we just gotta come back to it this week. Um, And maybe for some of you, this is a verse that you've come back to often. Maybe for some of you, this is a life verse. Maybe this is a verse that you pray every single day or you recite to yourself every single day. Verse 18, let's listen to what it says. And this is really what we're praying this morning. Open my eyes. Oh God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a great request? I can tell you with certainty that that is a request that if you pray that genuinely over your own life, that God will answer that request. If you continue to pray that day in and day out, God will answer that. He will begin to give you, as we talked about last week, an insatiable hunger for his word. And so really, this whole message this morning comes out of that verse, and it's very interesting how the psalmist prays that in verse 18, and then he begins to unpack that for us a little bit more in verses 33 through 40. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we are gonna take this section, we're gonna work through it one verse at a time. We'll read the verse, give a little explanation. Uh, They're gonna come pretty fast, okay? There's eight verses, and therefore eight points this morning. Don't get fearful, okay? They're not like 15-minute points. They're like three to five-minute points, so we're gonna move quick, okay? But before we do that, before we jump into this, a couple last things that we need to keep in mind before we dive into this passage. First of all, we said last week that this psalm is not just meant to be known and observed. It's meant to be participated in. 
It's meant to be lived. In other words, we really won't get this, we really won't get the depth of this psalm in our lives until we really start to take the steps of walking in it and begin to live it out and begin to wrestle with what it really means to live out what is written here for us. I love how Augustine, we quoted him last week, quote quote him again this week, Augustine prayed, he prayed, O Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Augustine, brilliant mind, just packed it in so tight. Oh Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. In other words, what Augustine was praying, he's praying exactly what the psalmist is praying here. God, would you teach me, not only teach me, God, what is best and what is right, God, would you command it? But then not only would you command it, God, but would you help me to live it out? In other words, God can command whatever he commands, Yet unless God moves in our lives, there's always going to be something missing from us living it out. In other words, Augustine saw this incredible truth that in everything in the Christian life, we are absolutely, absolutely dependent on God's grace. If God commands something, we must live it out. Yet we fall short of living it out unless God supplies the grace to live it out every day. After Augustine prayed this and then uh, quoted this, another theologian at the time um, who was later condemned for heresy named Pelagius, he, he fired back just in vehement hatred of this statement. And he just fired back with all this ammo saying, we don't, we don't need God's grace to help us live out what God has commanded. And Pelagius went so far to say, if God's commanded it, he's already given the grace, even if he hasn't said that he's given the grace to do it. Kind of a weird thing to say. But listen, we can't think that way, can we? We can't think that just because God has commanded something, we necessarily, in and of ourselves, have the full ability to live it out perfectly. That would be a contradiction to the rest of the Bible, wouldn't it? That'd be a direct contradiction to what we see right here in the psalm. The psalmist here knows what God has commanded, yet he prays, teach me in verse 33. Verse 34, give me understanding. Verse 35, lead me in your paths. Notice what he's praying. He is praying with longing that God would not only show him what he needs to be shown, but that God would help him to live what God has called him to live out. And so really, as we enter into this passage this morning, more than anything, This passage is a prayer. I want you to take maybe what you learned last week or um, what we were going through last week or what you've been wrestling with this week, and I want you to write this down just on your paper. It's not up on the screen. Pray these things. Pray these things. Just, Just write that down. Somewhere below the title if you're taking notes, pray these things every day. Every day. If you're in a place right now where you are struggling to have a deeper longing for God's word, You want it, but it just seems distant and off, far away from you. Pray these things, these eight things that we will walk through this morning. Would you pray them every single day until God so graciously fires up your heart to run in the way of his commandment? That's what God's pressed into my heart lately, that I can't just pray these things one time and then move on. I need to continue to pray them. I need to pray them as I read God's word. Let me ask you that question this morning. When you open up your Bible, do you pray? Do you pray with an open Bible? I hope you do. I hope that as we read scripture, we don't look at it ever as just some mental exercise that we go through. I hope that even today we see that we are absolutely dependent 
on the grace of God to lead us into the truth of scripture. That's what the psalmist is doing here. Listen, quick question, maybe a trick question, we'll see, we'll see. Who's the greatest Bible interpreter and the greatest Bible commentator ever? Who is it? Somebody call it. Oh, we got it in the front row. Good work. The Holy Spirit, okay? I tipped you off saying it was a trick question, okay? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Now listen, when we open up God's word and we don't pray for God's spirit to lead us, essentially, we wouldn't say this, but essentially we're saying, I don't need the Holy Spirit to lead me into truth. Wow. We wouldn't say that, would we? essentially by our life. That's what we're saying. I want you to notice, it'll be right up on the screen. I want you to notice before we jump into this, what Jesus said. John 16, 13 through 14, he said this, when the spirit of truth comes, when the, when the spirit of truth comes, notice that, has the spirit of truth come? Yes, he has, okay? He will guide you into all truth, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that an awesome promise? That's a promise right there that when we open the word of God, we just pour out our heart. Spirit, lead me, teach me from your word, guide me this morning. These eight things that we're gonna cover this morning, would you pray them? Would you pray them every single day until God gives you an insatiable passion and hunger for his word? Would you not only pray them for yourself, would you pray them for your family? Would you pray them for your church, for its leaders, for its elders, for your small group? for those people that you meet in the foyer. Pray these things, let's pray them every day. Well, I think that's enough to get us going. Let's jump into it, let's jump into the text right now. We're gonna start into this at verse 33. Verse 33 says this, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it till the end. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it till the end. Here's the first thing that we need to see this morning. And this, these are all written kind of in the form of a prayer, so it's easy to be prayed. Okay, number one, oh God, open my eyes to see your word clearly. That's what the psalmist is saying right here. That's what he's praying right here. Our ESV translation says, teach me, teach me. If you, if you look at the meaning of the word, it actually means to point out to me. God, point it out. In other words, God, take your heavenly finger, put it on my Bible, and underline what needs to be underlined. Point it out so that I can see it clearly. In other words, basically what the psalmist is really saying and praying here is, Lord, get the spiritual sleepies out of my eyes so that I can see what you have said. Don't we need that? Isn't it so easy just to open up your Bible and go through your daily reading and be like, I didn't really see anything there. I, I, don't, I don't know. That's a great prayer right there. Lord, teach me, show me, instruct me. God, show me very clearly what you have said. Now notice this. I want you to notice the result that comes with this. Okay, notice the second part of the verse. God, when you show me, when you open my eyes to see it, God, then I will keep it until the end. Listen, when God shows you something, you take notice, don't you? You ever have one of those truths in your life where you're just not quite getting it and then all of a sudden, bam, God shows it to you. He reveals it. Maybe you're walking through a season of suffering and you're struggling in your walk leading up to that and all of a sudden in this season of suffering, God just reveals his glory in a way like you've never seen it before and it is so precious to you. You ever have anything like that in your life? And when you see that and when you get that glimpse of his glory through faith in that moment, that sticks with you, doesn't it? 
Well, this is what we're praying here. We're praying, God, open my eyes to see it. Open my eyes to see the truth of your word. Notice the psalmist, he's not trying to find loopholes. He's not trying to find ways out and around what God is saying. He's praying that God would show him very clearly what is being said in the word. But then I want you to notice this. Notice verse 14. He goes from there. I want you to, as we go through this, these aren't just random things that the psalmist is praying. There's a progression here. He, he starts with the eyes, okay? He starts with seeing the word, and then he moves to understanding the word with his mind, and there's a progression. Note that as we go through it. The second thing, here's the second thing, verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Our second point this morning, our second prayer, God, enlighten my mind to understand the depth of your truth. Don't we need that this morning? We can see it with our eyes, can't we? We can see the word right in front of us with our eyes, but unless God really opens our minds to grasp its depth, we're gonna miss a lot, aren't we? Maybe you've noticed this before. As you begin to read the word and you begin to meditate on the word and begin to really consider what it said, maybe you've noticed this. All of a sudden, you start to see all of these connections to other places of scripture, how this verse, this section connects over here and how it ties in to this over here. Where do you think that comes from? Where do we think that comes from? Our imaginations? Just, you know, a chemical reaction in our brains? Absolutely not. That comes from the Holy Spirit. He is tying the word of God together for us. He's pointing out how it all relates. He's helping us to understand the meaning. Now, quick correction here. It says verse 35 on the screen. That should actually be verse 34, okay? My apologies. I missed that earlier. Okay, verse 34. 35 is coming next. But really what's being talked about here is mental comprehension. In other words, God, help me to get it, help me to understand it in my mind to fully grasp it with everything that I have to know what you are saying. Now think for a second. What's the great commandment? And can anybody, can anybody just say the great commandment out loud right now? That was great. I heard it here, and then I heard the great command. Just some, the great commandment over there. That was great. Okay. Yes, to love the Lord your God with all of your. What are they again? Let's call them out. What are they? Heart. Okay, we got a few additionals in there. Okay, with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Notice that we are to love God with all of our mind. Everything in our mental ability, we are to love God with that. Wow. And so that means that we must pray that God would open our minds, that he would enlighten our minds moment by moment to see the depth of truth in his word. I want you to notice this verse. It's from outside of this section, but still in Psalm 119. It's verse 130, an amazing verse. Look at this for a second. The unfolding of your word gives light. Isn't that true? When you see a new truth in God's word, not a new truth, but one that you haven't seen before, it just gives light to your life. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Listen, that might be, that might be hard for some of us to take, but listen, the Bible's not trying to flatter us. We are all simple here today. Even the most advanced scholar among us is simple compared to the wisdom of God Almighty, 
okay? And so the Bible's goal here is not to flatter us, it's to tell the truth, and we are all simple, but here's the beauty of this, the unfolding of God's word, the unpacking of God's word, the digging out and exposing of God's word brings light to the mind. What a beautiful picture we have of this um, in the English Reformation. William Tyndale, I'm sure you've heard the name before, the, uh, the English reformer and Bible translator. He, he, he was known for making some pretty strong statements and one, uh, one day while having dinner with a Catholic scholar, they, they were kind of going back and forth and a bit of an argument came up. Um, William Tyndale said to this Catholic scholar, the, the Catholic scholar said something Pretty, pretty rough, he said that we were better without God's law than we were without the Pope's law. And so to that, Tyndale reacted sharply as he should have, and he said, he said that he knew nothing of God's word, and he said, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than you do. Now here's the beautiful thing that ties into this point right here. By God's grace, William Tyndale began to unfold the word of God into the English language. And over the next several years, he began to unfold large portions of the Old Testament and the whole New Testament, I believe, and he brought the light of the word of God to the English world. Doesn't the unfolding of God's word bring light to your life? We walk in a dark, dark world. So dark, so hard, everything. The word of God gives us incredible light, doesn't it? Incredible, incredible light. Praise God for his light. Now notice what happens right here in this verse. Notice this. When God unfolds his word to us, when he opens our eyes to see it, and he opens our minds to receive it, then, then we will observe it with our whole heart. With an undivided heart, we will observe God's word. We will begin to live it out. But listen, there's more to it than just that. I want us to notice this third thing. Notice how it progresses. Verse 35. Verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. Here's the third thing. We need to pray that God would guide our feet on the path of life. Just as a compass guides the way for a hiker, we need to pray that God would guide our feet as we walk the path of life every single day. Listen, seeing God's word is essential. Grasping it in our minds is absolutely necessary, but living it out in our life, walking it every single day is the real intended purpose for God's word, isn't it? That we would walk in the way of his commandments. We can see it to a certain degree, but it's our sinful tendency to stray from it. Listen, even when we see the word of God clearly and plainly, And I'm sure this testimony will be the same in your life as it is in mine. Even when you grasp its meaning in your mind, there is still this sinful test, there's still this sinful propensity within us to turn away from it, to turn our back on it, to wander. Listen to what Isaiah 53 verse six says, the beginning of it. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. Now, the psalmist got this. The psalmist don't, you know, put him up on some pedestal and think that he was perfect and he's some guy from his ivory tower preaching down on us. He realizes his own weakness. That's why he's praying these things. But he got this point that we have a tendency like sheep to stray. Uh, The end of the psalm, the last verse, verse 176, it says this, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Lord, seek your servant. 
Isn't that us? Every single day. We're like sheep, aren't we? <laughs> you know, the, the thing with sheep is, is that they're great herd animals, they're great following animals, but they're not great leading animals. Okay, you, you let a sheep lead itself, where's it going to be? It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone off somewhere where it's going to get hurt. It's going to get wounded. It's going to, you know, walk way too close to the wolf's den, right? Okay. Anybody here like a sheep a little bit? I, I, I'm going to say I am, okay? We've got about 10 sheep here right now, okay? <laughs> Hopefully by the end of the service, we have a lot more sheep, okay? Um, but we're like sheep. Now that is, that's not really encouraging. And that's not really something to build us up. But that is the truth that we have this desire within us to wander away from what is good, and we do it so quickly, don't we? God, would you seek us? God, would you use the light of your word to shine on our dark path, as it says in verse 105? Lord, lead us in these things. Lord, take us by the hand and help us to walk down the path of life. Lord, guide us with your word as a compass guides a hiker. And then notice this in verse 36. Because just because we can see the path and we understand the path and we're being led down the path, it doesn't mean that we won't ever swerve off the path. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 36. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Don't we need that this morning? Don't we need God? God to not only show us the truth, not only to help us understand it, not only to guide our feet along the path, but to incline our hearts to give us his desires. Here's point four. God, incline my heart to want what you want, God. Oh God, make me long for the same things that you long for. God, I long for TV. I long for Facebook. I long for ribs on the barbecue. I long for relaxed time. I don't know why you laughed at that, okay? I, I long for all of these things, God, but, but, but God, change all that. Make me long for what you long for, God. Make me long to walk in the way of your testimonies, God. Make me long to be holy, God. Make me long to be a light to the lost in a dark, dark place of the world, as we heard this morning. God, make me long for that. Give me a hunger for it, God. Incline my heart, God. Incline my heart to your ways. Listen, we get so hung up here, don't we? We get so hung up sometimes wondering, what's the will of God for my life? And what's the will of God for my life? I heard this story one time of a man who prayed for 88 years, Christian man who prayed for 88 years. God, show me your will for my life and then I'll do it. That's a tragedy because he didn't do anything. Prayed for 88 years, lived to almost 100 and he prayed for 88 years. God, show me your will and then I will do it. You wanna see the will of God? Pick up the book. It's right here. Okay, the will of God is the word of God. It's the written word of God. If you wanna know what God wants from your life, it's right here in this book. He's given it all to you so that we will see it clearly, so that we can live it every single day. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, remember what he taught them to pray? He taught them to pray, your will be done, O God. Listen, this life is not about our will. It's not about your will. It's not about my will. This life is about God's will. Notice what the psalmist prays. Incline my heart, O God. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Meaning very simply that the psalmist and us the same, we all have within us, our default setting is selfish gain. That's what we pursue. That's what we go after. That's what we long for. Unless God does something in our heart to radically change our heart, and help us to want the things that he wants. 
Oh God, would you do that in our lives? Lord, would you lead us in it? The pastor and late hymn writer Robert Robinson uh, wrote in his famous hymn, uh, uh, Fount of Blessings, he wrote this, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. How much do you need that in your own life? How much do you need God to tune your heart to sing his grace? I need that every day. I need that multiple times a day. I I might need that every single minute in a difficult season. Just God to, to tune my heart to sing his grace. He went on to write, streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Listen, if you want God to be the number one delight in your life, cry out to him. God, tune my heart. Just tune my heart this morning. I'm totally tone deaf, okay? I'm just gonna be honest. And if you've ever um, sat near me when I've sung, you'll say amen to that, okay? Um, And you'll, you'll understand that. But even I can tell when a guitar is out of tune, okay? If it's way out of tune, okay? All right, I'm just gonna be honest, okay? But, but even I can tell that. Listen, can we tell when our own hearts are out of tune? Most of the time, no. We need the Lord to lead us. We need the Lord to instruct us. We need others around us to point that out. Hey, wait, wait, what's going on in your heart? I needed that just yesterday, you know? My wife to just gently, in her own way, point out that my heart was maybe a little bit out of tune. Um, and, that, and that's the reality of our lives. Listen, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have people around us. That's why we have church community. But more than anything, we need the Lord to tune our hearts every single moment of every day to sing his grace. And when our heart is tuned to the Lord, when it's inclined to what he wants, then, listen, listen, God's commands are not burdensome at that point. They're a joy, aren't they? To walk in his ways is it's still difficult, it's still trying, but it's not a burden on your life. It's a joy and a blessing to you. That's the fourth one. Let's, let's move on to the fifth one right here. Verse 37, verse 37, the psalmist prays this. He prays, incline my heart in verse 36, and then in this, verse 37, he prays, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life according to your ways. Here it is right here, point five, turn me away from sin. Now the psalmist here in this point, okay, he's really praying a prayer of repentance, but he's repenting of one thing in particular right here in this verse. He's praying that God would turn his eyes away from looking at worthless things. Now it's hard to know what the psalmist has in mind here exactly, since he doesn't say it specifically, but we can think of a lot of worthless things. Think about all the things that show up in your day that just distract you from following Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the iPhone. Maybe it's you know, your, your Facebook feed. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's um, your hobby. Maybe it's who knows what it is. Does it even have to be all that alluring to distract us? I can stare at a blank wall and get distracted, okay? You're probably the same. It doesn't take much, does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, simple mind, I, I know, okay? But, but that's just the reality of it. I, it doesn't take much at all, and I think it's really amazing that he doesn't even say what he's distracted by, or we would then try to narrow it down too much, and we'd forget all the other distractions of our lives. Let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord would turn our eyes away from looking at worthless things. Even more, let's pray that the Lord would turn our eyes away from looking at sinful things. Maybe it's that TV show. You just know that I probably shouldn't be watching this, but I do anyway. 
Would you pray every day that the Lord would turn your eyes away from looking at that? Turn your eyes from going to that place, that he would turn your eyes back to him to cause you to delight in him more. Maybe it's somewhere on the internet that you know you have no business going whatsoever, but you go there, your eyes wander there, your heart wanders there. Would you pray, God, oh, incline my heart, Lord, to love what you love. Oh, God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. The psalmist here, he's saying he has a vision problem. Notice he had a vision problem in verse one, vision problem. He didn't see clearly the word of God. And notice again, he sees the depth of his vision problem for why he probably doesn't see clearly the word of God, because his heart has been turned to worthless things. Essentially, what he's saying here is, God, I have a vision problem. I continually look at things that aren't profitable or good for me, and I need you to do something about it. Notice the psalmist doesn't just say, I will turn my eyes. Notice he's calling out to the Lord to do it. He's calling out to the Lord to do this work in him. We need the Lord. We need his help. Now, we have our own responsibility in this. We need to call out to the Lord. We need to seek to divert our eyes and put our eyes on the Lord, yet at the same time, we rely on his grace to do it in our lives. I want you just to maybe notice back in verse 11, maybe it's on the same page, maybe you have to turn back. Notice what it says in verse 11, another gem from this psalm right here. God, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There it is right there. There's a key. There's a key to this psalm. There's a key to the Christian life right there. How do we keep our eyes focused on the Lord? How do we keep them straight? We store up God's word in our heart, don't we? We take it, we memorize it, we have it there with us, and we, we do whatever we need to do to have God's word stored up in our hearts. Listen, what's being described here in this verse really is the continual battle of continual repentance in a believer's life. It, it reminds us, in a sense, of Romans chapter 7, doesn't it? Where the apostle Paul talks about the struggle of the Christian life and where he doesn't do all the things that he wants to do because he falls short in his flesh. Yet he longs to do these things in his mind. He, the good that he desires to do, he doesn't do. The wrong that he doesn't desire to do, he does do. Maybe that's the reality in your life many days. I know in my life many days, that's the sad reality. But I found some encouragement in a quote from John Bunyan that I think is really helpful here. I think it'll be up on the screen. John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress and a master, just with words, with vivid, vivid imagery, he wrote this. He said, he that comes to Christ cannot always get on as fast as he would like. Poor coming soul, you are like a man who would ride full gallop whose horse would hardly trot. You ever feel like that in your Christian life? Man, I just want to run after Jesus with everything that I have, but this horse that I ride on will barely even trot. Now notice this. Now the desire of his mind is not to be judged by the slow pace of the dull jade he rides on, but by the hitching and kicking and spurring as he sits on his back. Your flesh is like this dull jade. It will not gallop after Christ. It will be backward, though your soul and heaven lie at stake. Listen, brothers and sisters, we've got to fight and battle against our flesh every single day in this Christian walk. Are you fighting right now? Are you battling right now? Or are you on cruise control this summer? Listen, if you're not fighting and warring against your flesh to set your eyes on Jesus Christ, you're losing the battle. 
Listen, there is a battle that rages within us every single day, and this is the battle to continually put our eyes on Jesus, to repent of the sin that is there in our lives, to repent of the worthless things that we look at, to turn back to Jesus Christ every single day. And listen, that battle, that battle, the battle of the Christian life begins, it begins at the place of repentance first time. Maybe you're here and you've been hearing about Psalm 119 and you're like, I just don't get it. I I don't get what it means to really desire what the Lord desires. I, I just don't understand that. Can I tell you this morning that it starts, it all starts in the place of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. It starts that that first place of first time repentance, of turning away from your sin and turning to put your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. But listen, it doesn't end there. That's where we go every single day, isn't it? Every single day in the Christian life, where do we run? We run to the cross every day. Every single day, we need the grace of God in our life just as much as we did that first day to wash us, to cleanse us, and to lead us. Now listen, if you're there in that place saying, okay, I'm repenting of the things that I need to turn from. I'm I'm striving to turn away from them right now. I've confessed them to the Lord, yet I'm just, I'm burdened. I'm still burdened by them. I know that God has forgiven them, but I don't think that I can forgive them. Maybe you're just stuck in that place a little bit right now. I want you to notice what it says in verse 38. Verse 38. Notice where the psalmist goes right after he repents and prays that the Lord would help him to turn away. Notice where he goes, verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. As soon as the psalmist prays a prayer of repentance, right away he prays for the provision of God's promise. He says, God, show me your promise so that I can have hope. God, show me your promise so that I will fear you more than anything else. Here's the sixth thing right here. We're almost done. We're almost getting there. Number six right here. Assure me, O God, assure me with your promises. Listen, what brings assurance in your life every single day? Is it your own Christian walk? Is it just because you're nailing it and living out every single one of God's commands? That that doesn't give much assurance in my life. If anything, that gives a lot of despair, okay? The thing that gives assurance in my life is, is the promises, the promises of God. Now notice how amazing this is. The psalmist right here Praise specifically, confirm to your servant your promise. Oh God, take your promise, help me to know that it is for me and it's for my life right now and that I can cling to it, that it can be trusted and believed and held onto. And then notice the result, that you may be feared. Notice the result of God's promise being right there, tangible in our life. It increases our awe, our adoration, and ultimately our fear, not a cowering type of fear, but our fear of God's greatness and his holiness, and it gives us a desire to walk with him. Isn't that awesome? And maybe that's the element that's missing in your Christian walk right now is just the awe of God element. Maybe you're just... I'm stuck because I just, I don't take time to stand in awe of God. I know he's great, but I just, I just don't take time to stand in awe of him at all. Would you start to pray this? God, would you assure me of your promises? Every single promise in scripture. There's a lot of them. I had someone tell me recently that there's 365. I had somebody else tell me that there's over 600. Anybody know how many promises there are in scripture? I have no idea, but I know that there's at least one for every day, okay? And And I know that I haven't mined out nearly all of them yet. 
Okay, And so maybe right now you need to go to God's word this afternoon and maybe you need to get a couple promises that you can just cling to and hang on to that you can pray over. God, would you assure me with this promise? We mentioned one last week, Romans 8.32, which is just a gem. If, if you haven't read that one before, go read it this afternoon. But I know some of you were digging for promises this week. Continue digging because this is what brings assurance in our lives. It's not our own performance. It's not how well we're doing. It is God's promises that give us assurance. And then notice the connection, as we mentioned, between God's promises and us standing in awe when God confirms his promises to us. When he confirms his promises to us, what's the only natural response? Wow. Wow. You, God, would love me that much God, you would care for me that much to say, as Romans 8.32 does, that you who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all will also with him give us all things. God, you love me that much to give me that kind of promise? God, you're awesome. You're awesome. And then you stand in awe of the Lord. Only two more to go. Verse 39. Let's look at the next one right here. He moves from assurance to protection. Verse 39, turn away the reproach, reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Now we're not exactly sure what, what this reproach is, but notice that he says, turn away the reproach that I dread, meaning that he fears this reproach, but notice he talked, the psalmist talked about fearing God in the last verse, and he's saying, God, turn away the reproach that I dread. We're not sure exactly what that is. Maybe it's enemies taking the kingdom. We're not totally sure, but I think that we can say very simply, the reproach that we often dread as believers is the guilt and shame of the enemy. It's the guilt and shame of the enemy, isn't it? That after a hard season, what does the enemy do? He just comes and he just heaps guilt and shame on your life. You'll never be good enough. God doesn't love you as much as he says he does. He, he can't love you as much as he says he does. Doesn't the enemy do that in your life? He does that in my life, okay? But here it is right here, number seven. God, protect me, protect me from the burden of guilt and shame. God, our God is like a shield, isn't he? He is our shield. He is our protector. The enemy wants to come and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ came to give us life abundant, didn't he? Yes, he did. And our God is our protector and we need to be protected from the burden of guilt and shame. Is that not the reproach that you dread? When the enemy just gets a hold of you and he just won't let go. The Bible tells us that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when he gets a hold of your leg and he just won't let go, what do you do? You try to shake him and he won't go anywhere. What do you do? You call out, oh God, assure me with your promises. Oh God, protect me from the burden of guilt and shame in my life. God, you have forgiven my sin. Therefore, if I will not let it go, it is unrighteous of me to hang on to it. You ever thought about that before? Whenever we say, oh, God's forgiven me, but I don't think I can ever forgive myself. Whenever we say something like that, what are we doing automatically? We're elevating our standard of holiness above God's standard of holiness, aren't we? Listen, we should, to a certain degree, remember our sin we should remember where we've come from. We see that right in Ephesians 2 verse 11, that we should, there is a remembering of our sins so that we don't go back there. 
But if we won't allow God's forgiveness to release us from the burden and guilt of guilt and shame from our sin, we are in essence saying, God, your standard is here, but my standard is here. How wicked is that? That's wickedness. And so we need to start to pray. God, protect me from the burden of guilt and shame. Listen, just a little newsflash for all of us. I think we get this. The devil doesn't take the summer off, does he? He doesn't take it off for me, that's for sure, okay? But, but he doesn't. So, so why can we think that in the summer, we're just going to kick back and relax, and I'm all for relaxing and all for um, enjoying the summer for sure, but why can we think that we can grow lax in God's word, that we can pull back from our small group over the summer, that we can skip out on Sunday services, that we can take a rain check on prayer meeting, and yet still have this vibrant, lively walk with the Lord? The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour who has isolated themselves from the community of believers, isolated themselves from the word of God, and is ready to be taken down. Don't let the enemy take you down this summer. Don't do those things, but instead do, do press into the provision of God's word. And begin to pray every single day, God, give me a new hunger, a new longing for your word like I've never had before. God, make me like Jeremiah the prophet who longed for your word and then when he tasted it said, I can't get enough. God, make me like that. Make me hunger for it in that way, oh God. And then notice, when we pray like that and when we long for God in all of these ways that are listed in this psalm, notice the amazing result. Notice what it changes in our lives. Verse 40. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. When I've prayed all these things over a period of time, when I've allowed God to do it in my life, I long, I hunger, I thirst, God, for your word in your righteousness. Give me life. Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what we all long for? Not just physical life, but a depth to our spiritual life and our walk with the Lord, where we're meeting with him and rejoicing in him every single day. Here's the eighth thing that we can pray. God, revive my soul with your word this summer. Oh God, revive my soul, Lord. Take my heartbeat that is just flatlining right now, God, and bring it back to life. Revive my soul. You know, the really cool thing about um, this verse, in the ESV it says, give me life. In some of your translations, I believe it says, revive me. Does anyone have one that says revive me? Okay. Some translations say revive me. Someone came up and pointed that out last week and they said, you know, it's really cool that where the, in the ESV it says give me life, the Bible says, my Bible says revive me. Isn't that amazing? We all long for revival, don't we? We long for it in the church. We long for it in our world. We long for it in our own lives. Here's where it starts. It starts right here. Revival comes through a longing for God's word. Would you pray this every single day? Would you pray it every day over your small group, over the leaders here in this church, for that loved one who is wandering from the Lord right now or who has wandered from the Lord right now, who grew up in the church, maybe made a profession of faith and now is not walking with Jesus Christ, would you pray this for them every single day? Oh God, draw them back with your word. Oh God, confound their foolish wisdom with your word. Draw them, God, revive them with your word and give them life. Well, you say, how long? How long should I pray that for? I'm not going to give you a time limit. You, you pray it until God does it. 
And if you're praying for a prodigal child who's wandered, you pray and you pray and you pray until that prodigal comes home. We don't give up. We don't give up on prayer. We don't give up on God's word. We don't take the summer off. Okay, life is war. And if we believe that, then we need these things in our lives every single day. So strong encouragement right now. Strong encouragement every single day. Every single day this summer, will you pray these things? Every single day this year, will you press in to God's word and receive the life that it offers? And will you pray like you've never prayed before that God's word would become an immovable rock, that it would become the hunger of your heart, a deeper hunger than anything else? Would you pray that? Would you even join us this week on Wednesday night at our ministry center at 301 Scott Street for prayer and praise as we come together and we pray these things together as a church community? Listen, it's awesome that we can pray on our own, but it's even more awesome that we can pray together with a community of believers. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had just this many people packing that place out, all calling out to God with one voice, God, would you revive us according to your word? Would you lead us in these things, O Lord? Right now at the end of the service, I know that we've covered a lot so far this morning, so much in these eight verses. Let's just take a second right here to recap what we've covered so far. Here it is right here. Notice the progression. We just have this to show us the progression. One thing leads to another. One thing leads to another. We pray, oh God, open my eyes to see clearly in your word. Oh God, enlighten my mind, number two, to get it. Number three, oh God, guide my feet on the path just as a compass would guide a hiker. Number four, oh God, incline my heart to want what you want. Number five, oh God, turn me from my sin. Number six, oh God, assure me with your precious promises. God, would they be the thing that bring me the most joy in my life? And number, number seven, oh God, protect me with your shield from the schemes of the enemy. And last, oh God, would you revive my soul? Would you revive my soul? Would you give me life according to your word? And listen, if we, if we lay our lives down for these things, if we pour out our hearts in asking God to do this, will he not surely do it? He will surely do it because God has promised that his word will not return to him void. You know, we're given this beautiful picture of the power of God's word within scripture itself. And you find it in Ezekiel chapter 37. And many of you may know of this picture. And it's Ezekiel standing there before a valley of dry bones. And the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel in that moment. And he is to prophesy over these dry bones. And it's amazing. Ezekiel 37, go read it for yourself this afternoon. It's a picture of what God's word does in our lives and how it restores life. And Ezekiel prophesies over these bones and they come together. And God gives them the next word of prophesy, prophecy and he prophesies over them again. And then life comes into them. It's a vision, it's a picture for us of what, how God's word comes into our lives and it begins to put us back together. It begins to knit our souls back to the way that they are supposed to be. And it brings life it's a picture for us, but it's an awesome picture, isn't it? Of how God's word takes dead corpses and gives them life. And listen, brothers and sisters, no matter where you're at today, he can do it in your life if you will ask him to do it. Will you ask him? Will you ask him every day? Will you ask him every day this summer, every day this year until he does it? Let's ask him for it right now. Let's pray. Well, God, we come this morning, needy God, for you to pour out your grace in our lives. Lord, we long for these things. Lord, we long to long for you more. 
Lord, we want to want you even more than we do right now. But God, we need you to incline our hearts. God, we need you to guide our eyes, Lord. We need you to turn our way. Oh God, would you come and do it? Oh God, even as we sing this last song right now, oh Lord, would you truly, Lord, would you really give us faith to believe everything, everything that you have written in your word? It's all true, God. Most of us in this place would believe that and profess that this morning, Lord. But God, would you help us to see it, God? Would you help us to truly believe it, not just in our minds, but deeply in our hearts, Lord, so that it comes out in our lives every day? Oh God, lead us in it. Lead us in it, we pray, so that you will be glorified, so that you will be honored in our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.